I have a very special guest with me today who is going to share her story. And this is a really important story because as we, as a city, start to uh, see increasing numbers of COVID, and we hear that there's still persons who are rejecting, refusing to get a vaccine, she's going to tell her particular story. Welcome. Thank you. So, um, let me just ask some very basic questions. Do you consider yourself to be a healthy person? Yes. And um, do you take any medications prior to this? Were you taking any medications on a regular basis? No, none. Okay, so tell us your story. How did it all start? Well, um, in the beginning, um, we were all sent home, of course, everyone were sent, was sent home um, when the pandemic started. Because my husband works outside the home, um, he contracted COVID first. I was working from home and of course we live in the same home, to, in the same house together and um, I got it from him. Uh, we both were experiencing mild symptoms at first and um, mine continued and got progressively worse. He was able to get over his within the normal 7 to 14 or 21 days and I continued to have more um, severe symptoms. So what month are we talking about? This is in November. So this is November of 2020? November of 2020, yes. And your husband was the source for you. Right. And you mentioned symptoms. What type of symptoms did you experience? Um, coughing, no fever, loss of um, sense of taste and smell, um, not being able to breathe, uh, fatigue. Fatigue is a major one that I'm not sure if a lot of people are experiencing that, but I, I think they are fatigued. Um, chest pains, heart palpitations, um, not being able to really function and to do anything on your own, needing help to actually function and get through a day. So did you go to the emergency room? Did you have to I went hospitals? to the emergency room, um, I, I want to say two times, but it may have possibly been three. And the reason for those visits were getting to a point where I actually could not breathe. I couldn't hold a conversation. And when I got to the point when I couldn't hold a conversation, without feeling like I was going to actually pass out or just, you know, I just could not breathe. I decided to go to the uh, emergency room. And what was your experience in the emergency room? Um, you, it's, you're pretty much um, quarantined off. There's a specific section just for COVID patients. And there is, no, there is a test that they give you to see if you test positive, of course, but there is no there is no treatment, so there's nothing that they can really do for you except for to try to make you comfortable. Um, I was given cough medication to soothe the cough, but I wasn't severe enough to be admitted, so I was sent back home, and you're sent back home pretty much with without anything. Just try to rest, stay hydrated, and um, Hopefully you won't have to end up back in the emergency room. But of course I ended up back in the emergency room for the exact same thing. I just could not breathe. And when you can't breathe, you feel like you're gonna die. Hmm. So let's put this in perspective. Why didn't you get a vaccine? 
Well, at that time, November 2020, the vaccine was not available. The vaccines didn't become available to the general public until January. So once they were available, I still wasn't able to get the vaccine because once you are infected with COVID, you have to wait 90 days after your first signs of symptoms and to be symptom free before you're allowed to get an actual uh, vaccination. So we usually believe that once you come down with COVID, if you don't have to be hospitalized, then you just stay home and after two or three weeks, you start to feel better. And that's what happened with your husband. Right. But your story was different. Completely. How was your story different? Um, the symptoms never went away. They actually got progressively worse. Um, at one point, I was using a nebulizer, um, almost like, you know, the machine that people, asthma, asthmatic patients use, um, using treatments to try to help with the breathing. Um, I was told to use a steamer or to steam in the shower. Um, I kept getting chest pains, uh, heart palpitations, and the fatigue got really so bad that I could only function enough to take a shower and maybe have breakfast and that's it. I couldn't do any housework. I couldn't do laundry, clean the house. I couldn't do anything. So you're just laying in bed? Pretty much, or I would make myself get up and sit, I would sit in my living room just, to, just so I'm not just laying in bed. But um, it was difficult, but even just sitting still without even any type of motion or anything, you still, I still had trouble breathing. It was, it was almost impossible. I would just, I would use the steamer and the nebulizer several times a day. And I mean, five, six times a day, I had a pump, um, what's it called, albuterol. I was prescribed albuterol as if I was a patient with asthma. And that's a temporary fix. It doesn't really help you in the long term. And this happens, this was a routine every single day. I did had this process every day. So were you following up with your primary care doctor during this time? I tried following up with my primary care, but um, when I think when some physicians aren't seeing patients who are really affected with COVID the way that I was, or if you're not, if you have like a regular um, practice where you're seeing healthy patients and you're not seeing patients like this, you can kind of not really get the gist of how, how affected patients are being by COVID. It's, I almost felt like I was dismissed by my primary care that I had for many, many years. Mm. So I'm looking at your face and this has been close to a year now and I can still see the pain. How did this affect the rest of your family? Well, um, for a long time, I couldn't allow my mother or my daughter, they wanted to help me, desperately wanted to help me, but I couldn't allow them to come to my home because I just felt like if they were to get infected, I, the guilt would kill me. So my husband and my son pretty much cared for me and my husband would tell me it was hard for him to come home and watch me and it was nothing that he could do for me. Mm. There was pretty much nothing anyone can do because there's no treatment. Mm. There's, unless you are admitted, they have 
certain um, treatments that they can give to patients who are admitted. But if you're not admitted, but you're still having a severe case of COVID, you're pretty much sent home to deal with it as best as you can. So in addition to the pain, I'm sensing some anger. Are you angry about? Uh, very angry. I'm, I'm so upset. I'm, I'm upset, one, um, because just trying to get some help from my primary care physician was almost impossible. She kind of made me feel like these things were all in my head, even though I would continually tell her the symptoms I was having. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was pretty much sent home and told to just stay hydrated. Um, that it was in my head and prescribed medication for anxiety and depression, but not treating the symptoms of the COVID. So do you think you had anxiety and depression? 100%. But and you feel that that was secondary. That was secondary. And the fear of watching people die every day, this will cause anyone to have the type of anxiety and depression and to watch family members get sick and close friends lose family members of something that you now have. Mm -hmm. And just, just let that sink in. Mm -hmm. You have what these people are dying from. Mm -hmm. This would make your anxiety go through the roof. So you thought, I might die. Every day. Every day, that was my thought. Is today my day? That would absolutely, every day I got up with that thought in mind. So how did you keep going? Take your time. Just the thought of knowing that I want to see my family again. I would have long conversations with myself many, many times. And I know that might sound weird or crazy, but I would just talk myself through it and Take it one day at a time and try to just picture the day when I would be free of this. And mm -hmm. Free of it. That's an interesting way to put yes, it. Yes, because when you have something that no one knows what to do with or how to treat, and it's in your body, you can't escape. Mm -hmm. When it's your body, you can't escape. Mm -hmm. And I've had this conversation with a really close friend of mine and when there's something else that may be going on externally you can kind of go and get in your own little bubble or hide but when it's in your body you can't escape and that does a number on your mental health I mean since then I've been diagnosed with anxiety depression and PTSD So uh, this all started in November and here we are in August. Do you feel that you're, you've healed at this point? Um, no, not 100%. I'm on the right track. I'm getting there. I mean, and everyone, all the specialists that I've seen are all telling me the same thing for patients who are considered long haulers. It takes up to a year to kind of get back on track. And I feel like I'm getting better, but I still experience some of the symptoms. So you raised a very interesting term because we hear about 
the people who have severe COVID infection that end up hospitalized, sometimes intubated. Mm -hmm. And we also hear about what they call the majority of people who get infected and feel bad for a couple of weeks and then they get better, like your husband. Mm -hmm. But then that's third group and they're called the long haulers. Yes. And these are people that have an extended course with this COVID infection. And that was the group that you were in. And you're saying these people don't have treatments. I mean, there's nothing that you can really do for them. No. So when did things start to get better or how long? So you had it in November. By January, were you better? Or what was going on? Or what helped you to turn the corner? Well, by January, I was still... Um, still feeling really sick. There would be days where I might get a day and you think that you're turning a corner. You'll have a two, maybe a two day period where, oh wow, maybe I'm gonna get better. And then the very next day, COVID smacks you right down to being sick all over again. So it's like, it's almost, I don't wanna say a mind game because it's not a mind game, but when you're dealing with this type of illness, you think you're turning the corner in, and I was so encouraged by that, but then I got, I would get sick all over again. So I eventually started searching and trying to see if there were any treatments, if anybody was treating patients who are considered long haulers. And I did find, um, I did find treatment at Penn. And what did that treatment include? The treatment, um, it's, it's, it's a multidisciplinary kind of um, approach that they're taking where you speak with maybe a nurse or a physician, a nurse practitioner or a physician. It's an intake um, questionnaire where they're trying to diagnose what is going on with you. And then they'll decide, or you guys decide together what the best plan or treatment might be. So that could include um, testing with pulmonology, pulmonologists, cardiology, uh, physical therapy, um, sometimes speech therapy. Um, speech therapy? Yeah, because I was asked, do I think I need to go to speech therapy? But I didn't feel like I needed that at that particular time. What type of symptoms would someone have to need speech therapy? Um, you know what, that's a good question. Now what, I'm not 100% sure because I didn't feel like I really needed sure, that. Sure, sure. But I did, I, I, I saw a cardiologist um, I had to wear a halt monitor for... And you were seeing the cardiologist because you were having... Chest pain chest and pain. palpitations on a regular basis. And you don't know if you're having a heart attack. You don't know if you're, you know, what's causing it. There's nothing. If you don't have any other health problems, sure. I, and I don't, sure. I didn't. Um, so you had a halter monitor where yes. they monitor your heart rate for a 24-hour period. Correct. Were they able to identify any abnormalities on the halter monitor? No abnormalities, and I had that on for, I think it was a 14 or 21 day period. Continuous? Continuous. So, to be clear, you were having the symptoms of palpitations right. and chest pain, yes. but they wouldn't see anything on the halter monitor? No, okay. nothing abnormal. And that's part of the problem um, with, you know, physicians and people who are treating this having a hard time find, uh, feeling like you're actually having a problem because mm -hmm. the test results 
don't match what the patients are experiencing and presenting and telling them. So that's hard. Right. So you're saying, I'm feeling this, and they're saying, we don't see it on the results. So therefore, you don't have a problem. Right. And you're saying, I I have a problem. Yeah. And that was the issue I was having with my primary care uh, physician, which then made me go and seek help other places because I felt like, I wasn't getting any results. With no one was believing you. Right. So they thought you were just making it up for whatever reason. That's what it felt like to me. I mean, I don't want to, you know, but that's what it felt like. It felt like the only thing she wanted to treat was the anxiety that she thought I had, which mm-hmm. I did, mm-hmm. and the depression that I felt like I also had um, with prescriptions. And that was, that's just a, a, a fix to... To help calm things down but the symptoms I was having it was more than just that so so it sounds like this multidisciplinary approach is really good and they say it's not atypical for a long hauler to have symptoms but it not show up on the testing right that's one of the problems that they're having because what you may be presenting with and what you may be experiencing when you go have the test, it doesn't show anything. That's and, terrifying. And it's, hard, it's difficult for them to treat it. That's terrifying. It, and that's the that's the issue. That's that's it was, it was a nightmare. It was a living nightmare. But I guess it's reassuring in the sense that you see the cardiologist. They do the heart testing. They say we see no problem with your mm-hmm. heart. So you can say, well, that's good. I still have a problem, but there's no identifiable problem. Right. And then you go to a pulmonologist. And what does the pulmonologist do for you? You get um, a pulmonary function test where they test your um, lung capacity, your breathing capabilities to see how long you can hold your breath. It's the whole test you in like a chamber. And they test your breathing. And that also came back normal. Oh, my. Yes. And this is why you're saying, I feel short of breath. Right. I have chest pains, and they're saying, this is normal. Congratulations. Right. Wow. But within this team, they're believing me. It was a That's different the experience. That's gotcha. the difference. Yes. They're believing me, and they're, and they're reassuring me, you're not the only one experiencing this. Really? Right. There's many patients who are having the same symptoms and effects that I'm having. But the difference is they're actually taking us serious and trying to figure out what can they do because there's no, there's nothing that they have guaranteed to help patients like me. They're taking this approach where they're trying different things to treat the symptoms, I guess, or to help you have a, a better, excuse me, I'm sorry, have a better quality of life, Sure. I guess, while sure. you're dealing with this. Sure. So, in addition to the cardiologist and the pulmonologist, did you see anyone else? Um, no, those were the main, because those were the issues that I was having. So, those were the main uh, okay. specialists that I saw. So, what type of treatments did you receive? Um, the, other, the, the, the one thing that I think helped me the most was the physical therapy. Because I had fatigue so badly, I couldn't do anything. I was just sitting around the exercises that they that we did to help get my strength back it was strength training um 
I had a physical therapist. He was amazing. And he helped me get back to feeling normal, somewhat normal. I was in physical therapy for three months. So let's give us a comparison. You said you, you prior to November of 2020, you considered yourself a healthy person. Yes. Then you, you know, came in contact with COVID, you got sick, and unlike what we think normally happens, you became a long hauler, right. meaning the symptoms just didn't want to go away. Right. So tell me about, you say the fatigue was really bad. How bad did it get? So when you started physical therapy, what was challenging for you to do? Um, just to have a, a normal, um, if you say like if you wanted to go for a walk, say maybe if you did a few walks around, around your block, just for a little bit of exercise, I couldn't do that without being out of breath. And I couldn't hold a conversation and walk at the same time because it would take too much of my breath away to do both. Hmm. Um, so when you're in physical therapy, that's one of the things you work on to try to build that, I guess, build up your, I don't know, build your body up to get back to uh, functioning properly. I couldn't do housework. I didn't cook for months, for two months, more than that. We ordered out a lot, which I hated. We had to order out. My mother would send food around all the, you know, when she could, when she cooked or just to prepare stuff for us. My husband is not a great cook, but he tried. And him and um, my son tried to keep the, you know, the house as clean as possible and laundry. It's just normal functioning things that you take for granted. Yes. Completely wiped out when you get really sick with COVID. Now, you mentioned your husband. It's kind of a personal question you don't have to answer. How did it affect the relationship? Um, I want to say he was really, really understanding. Um, I think it he felt a lot of guilt and he expressed that to me. He felt a lot of guilt because he feels like he's the one who brought it home and that's how I got sick. So he felt a lot of guilt behind the fact that I got sick and he didn't get as sick. And um, it was hard for him to come home every day and see me in that condition and not be able to help me get through it because there was nothing he could actually do. And was your husband in better physical shape than you? And that explains why he was able to, you know, just have a couple of weeks of discomfort and you had this ongoing situation. No, I wouldn't say he was in better physical shape. Um, physical shape, I guess we would kind of be the same, but he had other health uh, ailments, um, asthma, and some other things that he may have had going on. And I was actually so concerned and so worried about him catching it um when we we both got it i really my anxiety and nervousness went through the roof because i kept saying oh my gosh she's going to get really really sick and it ended up he had the 14 day and was done mm -hmm. and i continued to get sicker and sicker as the days went on so initially you were able to care for each other or how right. did you work that in the beginning he, he was the one that started um, having symptoms, and he got tested. I had no symptoms at this time. Mm -hmm. But when I spoke to my uh, primary care physician, she suggested, well, since he's sick, you should also get a test. And when I got tested, it came back positive. So in the beginning, I was kind of caring for him. 
-hmm. and I already had it, so it wasn't like we had to stay away from each other. But then I started presenting with the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. And then we both were sick. It was like we had to kind of, you know, care for ourselves as best as we could. But he started getting better okay. much sooner than so I did. So he was on the tail end as you were starting to right. feel worse. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. Yeah. And your son? Your son was at home also? My son was at home, and thank God he didn't get sick. I don't know how. But we weren't. I called, to, um, I called his pediatrician and explained to them the situation. They said to just treat him as if he was positive. He never got any symptoms. We never got him tested, so we don't know for sure if he had it or, any, or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he never had any of the symptoms, so we're guessing that maybe he didn't. I'm not sure how, because we were in the house together. He could have had it, but we don't know because he was never tested. Sure, he was in the house with two people who right. definitely did have COVID. Right. Wow. That's a lot. It is. That's a lot. When do you start to feel better? What month? What you say? Oh, man. I want to say I, I finally was able to get my vaccine in March. I was double vaccinated by the end of March. My birthday is in April. I was still not feeling great. Mm. But I was kind of using my birthday as a marker. Like, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z by my birthday because I, I know I'm going to be feeling better by then. And I still wasn't feeling great. I didn't really start feeling better and functioning kind of sort of normal until I started therapy with um, the physical therapy. Mm -hmm. I think that helped me more than anything, mm -hmm. to be honest. I think that helped me more than anything. And also being able to talk to, I know in our community, a lot of um, black people or African Americans are don't usually want to get help through therapists or um you know for mental health and my mental health was was not good at all and i think that helped also mm -hmm. but the physical therapy helped the most okay a couple questions if you could talk to a group of long haulers what would you tell them that it will eventually get better but it's a long long process but to prevent becoming a long hauler try to get vaccinated that's what i would say to anyone who's listening mm -hmm. help your neighbor and help your family help your friends mm -hmm. help help us get past this mm -hmm. i know it's a personal decision for everyone but at this time this seems to be the only answer right because statistically you were not in a high-risk category right this should not have happened um, but it did right what would you tell doctors that are seeing long haulers such as yourself listen to your patients um, even if you have you know, even if you are concerned that it may be an exaggeration on their part of symptoms that they may be experiencing, please just listen to them and try, I mean, at best to give them 
you know, the best treatment that you could possibly give. Um, but don't be dismissive, please. Yeah. When you're dismissive, it makes us feel like it's like, you know, we, I felt like I was sent home to die, to be honest with you. I felt like I was sent home, figure it out, and possibly you'll get through it. It was no reassuring that, you know, yeah, you'll get through it. We don't know what this is, but with our help, we're going to try whatever we can. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like I was, I don't feel like I was given that from my primary care mm -hmm. physician. So they say that um, behind every cloud, there's a silver lining. Anything positive come out of this experience for you? Oh, that's a good, a great question, but I really can't think of one. I'm being, I'm going to be one hundred percent honest. I can't think of a silver lining in this. There <laughs> it was one. just bad. Come one hundred percent bad. So give us a, a range on a scale of zero to seven, and seven is the worst experience you've had in life. Pri in life prior to this, what? How would this rate for you? This would rate a ten. And, and I'm not, I mean, that bad. It was really that bad. And I always say, I almost, sometimes I've ha I have um, survivor's guilt. And that's because I have close friends who have lost parents, grandparents. And to know that they were, uh, they were, uh, they had to be uh, inpatient, you know, they had to- They were hospitalized. Hospitalized. And I can, and I look at the symptoms and what I went through, can't possibly be compared to the people who are hospitalized. And it makes me feel like they must've gone through hell. Oh. I mean, complete hell. The way that I oh. felt- Wow, that's a good point. It, it just makes me think like, wow, so, I'm still here. Yeah. And sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, I can't imagine what they must have gone through. When yeah. you feel like your oxygen is just completely cut off, yes. it's like being strangled. Mm, that's an interesting point. You're saying, I know how bad it was for me. Right. And I wasn't hospitalized. Right. I can only imagine. Exactly. And it, to watch this play out every day when we were on, seemed like the road to kind of getting back to a little bit of normal or what anyone would consider to be normal nowadays. It's okay. Sorry about that. Oh, that's a, it's a lot to think about. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, there's a whole bigger issue of when you're a patient and you don't think you should be a patient because right. I'm, I'm healthy. Right. I'm healthy. This should not affect me in this kind of way. Right. Only to find yourself affected. And it sounds as though, in addition to just not feeling good, what made it even worse is that you weren't being believed right. or, or feeling dismissed. That definitely made it worse. Because... When you have you have a personal relationship with your physicians, especially your primary care, you I know that you know doctors don't know everything, 
but we come to you guys for help when we feel like we need it. And I've had this particular physician for a long time. And I just expected something different from her and then, than what I got. I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit. Mm -hmm. Imagine I'm the patient, you're the doctor. I'm telling you I have all these symptoms, but you examine me and everything seems normal. What would you do then? But I mean, when you look, when you're looking through the lens on the other side, yeah, it makes it, I guess, a little bit. It makes me be a little bit more understanding, I guess, on her part. Um, but I think with, by the time I was seeing my doctor, this had been going on since March of the beginning of that particular year. Right. To me, as right. a physician, you guys are always. You're, you're lifetime students. Yes. You're always digging and trying to get more information. Even if you don't know or you don't have anything, I think the bedside manner really matters. Yes. If you have a little bit of that or just a little bit of empathy or, you know. Yeah. And I think that's what you got when you finally went to Penn. Yeah. It's not necessarily that they did that much right. more for you. But I think as a doctor, if you see a patient coming back multiple times, yes. and it sounds like this just wasn't one office visit. No. There were multiple office visits with you saying, I'm not well, I'm not Phone well. Phone calls, office visits. And so at some point you have to say, even though I'm not seeing anything, which means I don't have anything to treat you right. with, I have to recognize the fact that you are in distress. Right. And I don't think that was recognized at all. At all. No, I'm sorry that was your experience. I'm sorry that was your experience because that just compounded an otherwise negative experience for right. you. Um, it disillusioned you um, about your relationship or what type of relationship you thought you had with this particular doctor. Yes. But to your credit, you didn't give up. You no. sought help mm -hmm. and you found help right. and you found providers that were willing to listen to you and who had at this point identified that this is a known entity. Right. The long haulers, those that have symptoms for a period of time mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily identify a problem other right. than they're telling us this is how I feel right but then they work with you to help help you to feel better and that's exactly what you needed yes. so to your credit you did not give up right I mean you did not give up you found the care you found the help that you needed and that should be a message I think that's right. I mean clearly I didn't live your experience but from hearing about your experience I would say that um, you have proven yourself to be a survivor. I, I feel like I am, but at the same time, there were many days where I felt like I wanted to give up and many days where I thought to myself, I wasn't suicidal. I've never thought about suicide, but there were days when I would say to myself, I think being dead 
is better than what I'm experiencing right now. Oh. And I never even said that to my mom. But I, I felt that many days. Well, that just highlights how bad it is and how people should not take this COVID infection lightly. Yes. Um, because you can't predict who's going to be affected or how they're going the to severity, be affected. The severity, you don't know. And you it doesn't know. matter if you're healthy. Yes. I'm living proof of that. I didn't have any health problems. I mean, outside of probably maybe losing a few pounds that I probably <laughs> needed to lose. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any. I don't take medication for anything. I was considered a healthy adult. Well, didn't mean to bring tears to your eyes, but thank you for sharing that story. And hopefully it'll help someone. Some Well, I hope it helps three different groups of people. I hope it helps any provider listening yeah. to realize that sometimes you just need to be compassionate. And sometimes you may have to say, I don't have an answer, but I'm going to work with you right. to see if we can find something that will make you feel better. And I hope that any long hauler that may be listening will understand that they can survive this too. Right. And for anyone that's hesitant about getting a vaccine or who is dismissive of just how bad the COVID right. infection can be, and they're now saying with the Delta variant, even more virulent, yes. um, not to take it for granted, not to take it as a joke and to do something. So thank you. I know that it was hard for you to do. I know that um, you still don't feel 100%, but the fact that you were willing to share mm -hmm. your story is, um, I'm very grateful. Thank You're you. Welcome.